Amen. Thank you so much. Good morning. That was beautiful, and we're thankful for the way we've been led in worship this morning. We are involved in a series in the Psalms, and this particular Psalm I've chosen today to be able to explore together with you is positioned right at a time when there are major conversations taking place in Glasgow, Scotland, beginning next week on climate change. And I thought it would be pertinent as political leaders from around the world are converging in that particular place, point in time, to be able to explore a passage of scripture that in many ways is the sequel to what we covered in the creational account of Psalm 8. So I'd love for you now to start turning in your Bible towards Psalm 19. And as you're turning there, here are some thoughts to consider as we're beginning to think this through together. First of all, what we want to be able to say is that, once again, we see the combination of what I will call a messianic psalm and a Torah psalm. Torah has to do with law, has to do with the direction, the word of God, and so on. In Psalm 1 and Psalm 2, you had the combination of a a Torah psalm and a messianic psalm. When you get to Psalms 18 and 19, you have the same combination again. So what I want to be saying at this point is that we're about to enter through a second set of gates, a second set of doors, if you will, with regard to the way in which you make your way further and further and further into the Psalms. This is by design. This is by intent. And so what we see here is that there is a design to God's word just as there's a design to God's world, both of which will be explored together this morning. Second thing I want to be able to say is that this is another creational psalm. It's the sequel to what we covered weeks and weeks ago in Psalm 8. So they are meant to be tied together. There are more creational psalms as well. You'll want to continuously link any kind of creational psalm back to what you see and read about in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. You do that, and now you're on your way towards better understanding of how all of this fits together. One last thought. As I begin to read this passage of Scripture from Psalm 19, you're going to notice that it begins with the term for our sovereign one as God, G-O-D, in the Hebrew El, or Elohim. But when you get to verse 7, you're going to see that the term for your sovereign one is Lord, capital L-O-R-D, Hebrew, Yahweh, the covenantal name for God. One pertains to the creator name for God. The other pertains to the covenantal relational name for God. They are not meant to be separated. They are meant to be together. You'll notice in Genesis 1 and 2 and that it begins with the whole idea of God being referenced as El God. But when you get into chapter 2, he is Lord God. He is Yahweh God. And then when you get into the time in which the evil one is now tempting Eve, he refuses to utilize the word Lord, the covenantal relational name, distances, separates that out, and simply poses the question, did God say, the first question posed in all of history, and it came from the evil one. In other words, he's going to try to create a sense in Eve's mindset that God is some kind of cosmic killjoy, 
and that she is going to have to reassess her relationship to the one who is the relational God, Lord God. All of that is meant as, in some ways, an introduction to what we're about to explore now when you tie together the term God in the opening verse to the Lord in a subsequent verse. And now we're ready to read. Because here we find that this is to the choir master, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God. Hebrew word El, E-L. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Global impact. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun. Notice the similes, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, at its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. Transition. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening his eyes, the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Comparisons. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep your, back your servant from presumptuous sins and let them not have dominion over, over me. And then I will, shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's look to our Lord in prayer. Our Father, we're coming before you. You are the sovereign God. You disclose yourself through a variety of terms, whether it be El, Elohim, Adonai, or Yahweh, meant to give us a greater and greater sense of who you are, a greater and greater reverence for how you work. You expand with a sense of breadth and you give us a sense of depth when we penetrate the riches of your word. You know the needs of the hearts. 
You know what kept someone up last night? You know the struggles that seem to be carrying over into another week. And that person's now looking for something, something by which they can take into this next week and say, I can work with that. I can use that. I pray that that need will be met, Father, through your word this morning. You're the sovereign God. You know the needs of our hearts. And I'm praying, Father, in a very powerful way, you'll meet those needs. The one watching online, the one present in one of the services this morning. We're asking that in a very distinctive way now, Father. Our eyes are going to be open to you. Warm these hearts. Engage these minds. And shape these wills. As again now, Father, we've come here to see Jesus and him only. Pray these things again now in Jesus' name. Amen. I love the story about the science professor at the university. When given opportunity, he would come home during the lunch hour to spend some time with his young child. He was incredibly busy in one particular week, and so looking around his office, he saw a magazine with a large, large map of the world on the cover, and he got an idea. And he removed the map, tore it into pieces, put it in his his coat pocket and made his way home because he knew he wasn't going to be able to spend a lot of time with his son that night and he needed to keep his son occupied. So when he got home, he, the little boy obviously came running up to his father, professor, and the man explained that he had extra work that would have to be done that night, couldn't play, um, but he led the boy into the dining room and taking out all the pieces of the map spread them on the table, you see. And then he explained that it was a map of the world, including the constellations, the galaxies, so on. And that and by the time he could put it back together, the professor's extra work would be finished. And then they could play. And he figured this would take hours. Well... As you parents know, about a half hour later, the boy came to the father and said, it's finished, can we play now? And the man was surprised and said to himself, this is impossible. Well, let's go see. And sure enough, there was this picture of the world, all put together, every piece in its place. And the man said, this is amazing, how did you do that? And the boy said, it was simple, Daddy. On the back of the page was a picture of a man. And when I put the man together, the whole world came together. And I thought about that story as we're approaching the global summit, trying to stay abreast and in front of all the trends that are happening in this world, not lag behind. I want us to be cutting edge. For you see in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, the Apostle Paul had written, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. 
The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. What we have the opportunity to do is to take all that will come our way in terms of news outlets these, in these uh, weeks to come and use these as what I'll call on-ramps to be able to communicate and to build a sense of conversation where we take the idea of the design and lead people toward the designer, explain the matter of the old creation, and then talk about the value of being new creation people, acknowledging the fact, as we've said in prior times, that the world was created with the sense that it is good. Ending with that climactic statement, it is very good. But then as we've explored, I remember doing a two-year study here and elsewhere on Sunday mornings in the book of Romans, that when one reaches the point of Romans chapter 8, we're told in verse 20, the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Get this. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So now you take all that's happening in the news outlets And you move people, as we've said in prior weeks, from it is good, number two, it is groaning, to number three, in the future, it is glorified in Christ's return. Yet you and I are called to be managers of the creation. As new creation people, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're to be a manager of this old creation how do we go about doing this, and how do we build on-ramps in this, in this climate of climate discussions in such a way that we can build bridges, taking people from the world to the Word, the Word, who came to die for your sins and mine? Here are some thoughts. And the first comes out of verse 1 down through verse 6. As you and I together, as we explore the entirety of God's work, the entirety, world, word, so forth. Now begin with me by noting in verses 1 through 6 what I'm going to call the creational witness, which is pointing us, everyone, to God. Just as in the book of Genesis, so now we find in Psalm 19 verse 1, we begin with the word, the term El, Elohim, for the sovereign one. And it begins, the heavens declare the glory of God. Notice that it reads plural, the heavens, not heaven declares. But rather, the sum total of the cosmos is now making a declaration with regard to the designer who stands behind his design. All, though, because of original sin committed in the Garden of Eden, the entire cosmos was affected by sin. And thus we have such discussions as are occurring in Glasgow, for example. Nonetheless, the heavens, plural, declare the glory of God. But here is what is furthermore interesting. 
the word in the Hebrew carries with the idea of literally the heavens declare and keep on declaring. It's a continuous declaration. The heavens declare and keep on declaring the glory of God. Now the word glory that you and I find there, and we know now this over the course of time, it carries with the idea of heaviness. We are talking about the fact that God is heavy. In other words, in a world such as ours that takes God lightly, we want to produce a sense of the weightiness of who God is in his glory. Now, in order to be able to understand what the psalmist is now doing, where he knew that two witnesses are necessary in a court of law in Jewish society, notice what he says again. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. But what fascinates me in the original language is that sky is in the plural. So just as with the heavens, so with the skies. There is this communication, there is this witness regarding the designer who stands behind his design. But now notice the word proclaims. See it? It means literally proclaims and keeps on proclaiming. So the heavens are declaring and continue to declare, and the skies proclaim and continuously proclaim. So what we have now is an ongoing witness to who God is as new creation people explain the old creation to a world that has all the pieces of the cosmos on the table and are trying to fit this thing together. It's his handiwork. He's taking full credit. And so now, it's time to begin to pull out our telescopes. Don't have one yet. Great opportunity. Order one. Self for Christmas or family for Christmas. And better than watching a screen, go out at night. And first of all, explore with me the sun that now appears on the screen. There is a fantastic book that I have in my Genesis area in the library called 100 Things to See in the Night Sky by Professor Dean Regas. And Professor Regas appears on PBS, he appears on various networks, and he's interviewed it over and over and over again as to the nature of astronomy. And I said astronomy, not astrology. Now, he writes that the sun is our nearest star, about 93 million miles from Earth, major source of light, heat for all the planets, moons, and asteroids of the solar system. Holds all of the planets in steady orbits. And so it's time to get out of the bed in the morning, look into the skies, say to yourself, the heavens declare and continuously declare the glory of God. The skies above proclaim and continuously proclaim his handiwork. It's sunrise. And he writes, to start, you're going to want to look for a subtle, several subtle changes around the sky in addition to the sun. 
For you see, at sunrise, simply get up while it is still dark, then watch as the sky slowly brightens. And when the sun is almost ready to rise in the east, look behind you, look behind you to the west. For there you will see a slightly darker piece of sky just above the horizon. This is the earth's shadow. And then when you look back to the east again, you will notice that every layer of the atmosphere ignites in different warm tones. Why the rising but still unseen sun turns the atmosphere closest to the horizon from deep blue to ruby red in minutes. Day has broken. God has spoken as day has broken. The heavens declare and continuously declare the glory, the weightiness of God in a world that takes God lightly. You are bringing weight to the conversations of life. The skies above, what are they doing at this point? They are not only proclaiming, they are continuously proclaiming his handiwork. And now you're explaining this and you're taking all the pieces of the cosmos and you're beginning to fit this together, you see, because there is a design. There is a designer behind his design. And in the midst of this design, he has brought Adam and Eve into this world. They send the puzzle, so to speak, is now spread out over metaphorically the table of life. But the new creation person is showing how we begin to refit, put all these things back together again. And you're up now to verse 2, aren't you? As you make your way into verse 2, lo and behold, here's what you and I see at this point. For day to day pours out speech. Notice that this is an ongoing, this is a continual There is a regularity aspect to this witness. Day after day after day, there is this pouring out of speech. And what fascinates me in the Hebrew is the word pouring out carries with the idea of bubbling over. In other words, it's as if the cosmos just can't get enough speech out of its system to be able to point everybody in the direction of the designer behind his design. And you're pondering this as as perhaps in a classroom, if you're a science teacher, you're going to have some dialogue in the coming days about climate control and so on and how and what needs to be done. Why isn't Russia coming? And why isn't China coming? And that's a separate issue altogether. But nonetheless, what we've got here is something to say. Day to day, bubbles over, pours out speech. And if that's not enough, because he's not going to limit it to the days... Night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. This is what I will call visual speech rather than verbal speech. 
During the Civil War, biographer tells us Robert E. Lee was visiting an encampment near the scene of a battle. It was dusk. Riding his horse, traveler, of course. And he passed in review as the soldiers stood at attention. The biographer tells us that a deep silence reigned. Not a single word was spoken. Not a single word. But then, as unexpectedly as he had come, he disappeared. And no sooner had Lee disappeared from the sight of the soldiers than a young soldier from Georgia shattered the stillness by shouting in a voice everyone could hear, Now then, after what the general has said, will we fight or will we not? Said. There was no verbal But there was visual speech. His very presence spoke volumes. What we're saying now at this point is that this speech is, is now is deafening. It is a silent speech, but a real speech. You are tying together two and three and you're exploring the significance of what this is all about and how this relates to the discipleship conversations of life. Look at this NASA photo of the Milky Way taking place over, shown over Chile. Now, for city dwellers, uh, it's almost completely invisible. But when you're in the country, first glance, the Milky Way looks like a a high, thin cloud stretched out like a long line across the sky. It looks like someone simply spilled milk in the heavens, you see. But what you're actually seeing is the flat disk of our galaxy. In the milk, billions and billions of stars shining at you from tremendous distances in the clearness of a country night. No telescope is needed. That's your God. That's the one who creates. And if he can create something out of nothing, he can create something good out of something bad. He did that at the cross of Christ, you know. It was climactic. It was climatic. It was now about the sixth hour. And there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And while the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two, and then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last, only to have his work validated three days later when he was raised from the grave. And now what we see is the climatic and the climactic aspects of life converging together at the cross 
of Jesus Christ. You see, you're pondering this. And so now you're with me. You're making your way up to verses 4, 5, and 6. And what I want you to see here is that this, this voice from the heavens, it touches all language groups. We, we think a little bit earlier of how Wycliffe translators and the Weisses are involved in Bible translation and the likes. We've got something that is completely multilingual reaches every language group known in all of time and space. When we are informed in verse 4, their voice goes out through all the earth. Their words to the end of the world, you see, that just as we are concerned with reaching all the nations and having a complete global impact verbally, God is also having a complete impact visually. Setting up opportunities for conversation and on-ramp discussions. This does not pit science against Christianity. God expresses truth through his world. God expresses truth through his word. And now you allow for the convergence of the climatic and the climactic, such as the cross of Jesus Christ, to deliver the punch necessary to be able to help people to understand the significance of the designer who stands behind his design and send Jesus to die for your sins and for mine. For you come now into this idea, the imagery, utilizing in the, in, the, in the language, the similes, which comes like a bridegroom from his chamber, the Hebrew word, the chuppah, and furthermore, like a strong man, literally a valiant warrior, runs its course with joy. It's rising from the end of the heavens, you see, and its circuit to the end of them. There is nothing, absolutely nothing, hidden from its heat. So now it's time to say, well, we explored sunrise. What about sunset? Well, now, it's evening. Maybe you're with a loved one. You're together, maybe gone for a long walk, returned. You take a deep breath because you're beginning to notice the play of light and darkness. But this time it's reversed in your face, west to see the sun slowly set. And now the sun gradually turns from light to dark through every color of the rainbow. But this time, just before sunset, you turn around and now face east to see the shadow of the earth cast on the lower reaches of the atmosphere. And then you face west again, taking the final rays of sunlight as the sun dips below the distant horizon. And it's as if God said, I did that. I did that. For those of you who teach science, you have a tremendous opportunity to be able to see the connection between the revealed truth 
of God's world and the revealed truth of God's word, not separate from Christianity and science are all part of the expression of the glory of God. Look at the next scene that appears. There was a tension at a certain point in history as to you either side with science or you side with faith, as if God meant for that kind of tension to exist. Of course not. All truth is God's truth. And so what we see here in this particular scene is taken from a painting. It's a replica uh, when a man who was a believer by the name of Leon Foucault, 1851 offers a pendulum experiment demonstrating the Earth's rotation through the gradual change in the swing plane on a suspended iron ball as he is articulating to all listening that all truth is God's truth and went out of his way to relate word and world under the authority of God, authority over the world, author of the word. You pull that together, and now you're beginning to understand what it was in essence that was penned by Chris Tomlin. Do you feel the world is broken? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. Do you wish that you could see it all made new? We do. Is all creation groaning? It is. Is a new creation coming? It is. Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? It is. Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? It is. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah who conquered the grave. He was David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. He's worthy. And God, through his world, says, I did that. Now, you're tying it together. You have just pulled together verses 1 through 6. And now what you do is you link together world of 1 through 6 with the word of verses 7 down through verse 11. Because what we want to explore together when we're looking at this is not only the creational witness of 1 through 6, but the scriptural teachings of 7 through 11, providing guidance by our God. But now notice the terminology changes. Because now he refers to himself as Lord. Covenantal name, Yahweh, in the original language. What I want you to seize here is you are pulling all this together because all truth is God's truth. He's sovereign over all. Is that there are six significant descriptions for God's word that are utilized in these few verses. Can you spot them? The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. 
The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Let's pause. Think about this for a minute. You just spotted six descriptions given with regard to the word of God. But furthermore, what I want you to see here is that there are various benefits that come when you and I are, are personalizing God's word, memorizing God's word. It revives the soul. It makes wise the simple. Rejoices the heart. It lightens the eyes. You look at that and you say, there is a benefit then in being able to interpret and understand the relationship of God's word to God's world and allowing the word to help me to interpret this world realistically as we move from the good through the groan to the glory. And as you do that, you're thinking with me, aren't you? Because then, as you and I explore, when we look at this, there was a man by the name of Tyndale picture of him now appears, you see, on the screen. And he was born, Welsh border of England in 1494. What he did was he became an important translator of the Bible at a time when printing press in 1454 was a major development. But there was so much pushback to what he was doing and that there was a threat for death placed upon his life. Writer puts it this way. Tyndale's work received an amazing unintended boost when bishops bought as many copies of his translation as possible in order to destroy them. Got the attention of the people. The price they paid provided Tyndale for the desperately needed money to print even more copies. What was the result? The king and all of his agents went on a hunt to find him, found him in continental Europe. He was betrayed by a false friend near Brussels, brought back to England, thrown into prison, accused of maintaining that one is saved by faith alone. He was found guilty and executed. But here's a man who understood the value of the word as he communicated it to this fallen world. Now, back to the text. Notice the comparisons. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. And now, you link the more of verse 10 to the moreover of verse 11. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. Don't you love that? Because David is the king, and yet he views himself as the servant. He's submitting to the sovereign one. In keeping them, there is great reward. And as he ponders the word of God, as it relates to the world in which God has placed him in, not only do you find yourself exploring this whole matter of what God is doing through such a man as Tyndale, but notice the works of Wycliffe. Wycliffe, and there he is at his desk. And he too is trying to find a way to communicate God's truth in this fallen world, link 
world and word, all truth, God's truth. But likewise, he faced pressure. And the result of his, the threats on his life was that, as you see in the next scene, so angry were the people that were opposed to this translation work that even after he died, his bones were exhumed. And the English Bible itself that had been thrown into on that burial site were burned. They just couldn't get enough of trying to destroy him. But God's word is eternal. And so what we see now in this wedding together of the word and the world is an opportunity for you and for me to be able to respond in a time such as a Glasgow conference coming our way and the likes, asking ourselves, maybe in a science class, maybe in the matter of just talking about it at home or at work, what do I do with all that's being discussed day in, day out? Well, here's a third aspect to all this that I want to draw out for us. Not only the continual witness of 1 through 6 and the scriptural teachings that are found here in 7 through 11, but thirdly, the personal prayer seeking help from God, you see, in verse 12 through 16, because you're going to say, God, what do I do with all this? You've given me an opportunity to live at this time to make a difference in the lives of others. Here's his question to God. Who can discern his errors? Here's his appeal to God. Make it your appeal, my appeal. Declare me innocent. He doesn't say, you have found me innocent. Rather, a declaration. But didn't he begin with a declaration? Sure he did. The heavens declare the glory of God. Now here, what we find at the end, declare me innocent from hidden thoughts. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me, which is a Genesis word, because we're to have dominion over the creation. But he continues on. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. And now those powerful words. I'm sitting next to an individual in Utah, mountainous range. I'd been his pastor decades and decades ago. And he said, Gary, we watch online. He might be watching now. And he said, you used to end your, or rather you started your expositions in New England with these words. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock, my redeemer. I said, thank you, John. I need to hear those words. Because those should be our words. Memorized. Analyzed. Personalized. To give us something to say in the times in which we live. Changeless truths for these changing times. For you see, new creation people have something to say with regard to the old creation. We get the good, we understand the grown, and we talk about the glorified. And that's why when we've got our friend who's got all the pieces out on the table, we nod our head. When all of a sudden, he says, it's time to play. 
Can we play now? That's impossible. Let's go see. And sure enough, there was the picture of the world all put together, every piece in its place. And the man said, that's amazing. How did you do that? And the boy said, it was simple, Daddy. On the back of the page was a picture of a man. And when I put the men together, the whole world came together. And when you put your faith and trust exclusively in Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord, you become a new creation person. And now you have an opportunity to explain this old creation and use this as your on-ramp to bring glory to God. The heavens declare the glory of God. So should we. Let's stand together. So, Father, we see here such extraordinary contemporary relevance again. Those that want to turn everything into a political theater have got to understand the significance of what's being discussed. There's something far greater, far deeper at stake. Never, may we never allow science to be pitted against the faith. Help us to distinguish between science and scientism. Help us to understand how true science and true faith are rooted in the truth of your word. And may the result be, Father, that you are getting all the praise, all the glory, and for this we give you all thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.